Blog Talk Radio. Education, 
through rap. He says we should be willing to educate our children however and by any means necessary. And then listening to rap, they can remember the lyrics. Then how about we teach them through rap? Big shout-out to the homeboy from Brooklyn, New York, doing his thing. Maybe not the thing, but a thing. And if this thing works better than the previous, then why not? So Larry Locke Henderson, y'all. Uh, welcome to Our Own Voices Live. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a little excited today. I'm a little excited for, well, multiple reasons, but what's appropriate for the show is the topic today. So you're listening to Our Own Voices Live, and our topic today is truth. We're going to talk about the resource officer who slammed a black king in South Carolina. And we're going to talk about what I believe is the importance of Nevada Day to this country and specifically to African Americans. A, a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. We do it through shows like Our Own Voices Live. Of course, Our Own Voices Live is a spinoff of Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine. We also have collaborators. Uh, Brother Lee Vaughn, a member of the Speak Up Network, along with Our Own Voices Live does real radio, radio established to address life in the Be More area. Brother Thomas Berry with Rant Radio on a hiatus, but the brother says as soon as his back get right, he'll be coming back. So uh, broadcasting from the basement someplace in the Twin Cities area. And, of course, we have Sister Angela Thomas with Needle on the Record, a little pop culture education as well as entertainment, doing her thing. And maybe look for some collaboration, maybe going back to the continent, to the motherland. Got some folks over there who are interested in doing some things with us. Got some folks in England interested in doing some things with us. I didn't even know we reached all of those places at first. So big shout-out to the listeners in the continent, Africa. Uh, big shout-out to the folks in the U.K. Thank you so much for tuning in to us. And, of course, big shout-out to all of you who tune in each week, and for those of you new listeners, thank you so much for giving us a chance. We want you to be a part of this conversation today, and the way you can do that is to give us a call at area code 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600, because I think there's, as always, whatever we say is important, but uh, obviously I think this is it's a hot topic, and we need to discuss it. As a matter of fact, what I was actually going to talk about today, I'm postponing that to next week. We've got, we got to talk about that brother, the ball player who couldn't even buy a Rolex, and he has millions of white people are so afraid of them in a jewelry store. But we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. out on the West Coast. It's 3.30 out east, people. What's good? What's good? What's good? What's good? What's happening, Rodney? Ah, uh, it's you, Angela, and all of you know, 
that's my homegirl, Mrs. Angela Thomas. There would be no Our Own Voices without her. She's here every Saturday that she can be in sickness and in health. Oh, almost like and in health. To the show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm ready. It's Halloween. You know, that's like probably the biggest holiday in Las Vegas. I'm excited. I got all my sugar fixes around all my I, I have a perfect excuse to have all the candy that I love around the house just sitting around waiting on me I love it so you know I well, got my sugar I got my grandbabies we all in costume you, you'll never guess what you know what I'm I'm dressed as this year I'm, I'm doing it big uh, let me, big mama no 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 I'm there I'm, I'm her every day look I'm, what can oh, I say okay. look <laughs> I am a Starbucks. I'm a cup of Starbucks coffee today. Oh, I guess Michael's going to have to just drink you all up then. Well, you know, that's a good idea. Hey. I'll, I'll pass that hey. along. But, hey. yeah, I'm going to hey. be <laughs> my favorite uh, caramel macchiato latte today, dressed as a fashionable Starbucks cup of coffee. So, you know. Right it's Halloween. On, right on. We're doing it big. The little kids around here. We got emojis around here. We got Starbucks coffee. We got, you know, Thriller. You know, you can't, what is Halloween without somebody doing something from Thriller? So, you know, it's Halloween. Right on, right on. And you see, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about Halloween, for those of us who live in Nevada uh, and Angel and I down here in Las Vegas, is that what most people think of is Halloween, and it is. For us, it's also Nevada Day. Nevada Day, all wrapped up in one cute little bow. Yes. And I have to admit, my focus tends to be more on Nevada Day than Halloween. As a matter of fact, Halloween gets in the way of me celebrating <laughs> Nevada Day. Because you've got all of these people out in the street, all in the way. Well, you know, you should just dress up as one of the, one of the, one of the great people for Nevada Day. One of the, one of the great historic figures of of of, uh, of Nevada Day. You know, kind of I'll mesh the two, in. do a mashup of like two of the great people from Nevada Day. You know what great. I think I might do next year is I'm gonna put make up a. Uh, costume in the shape of Nevada, but instead mm-hmm. of, because our state colors is, is a nice uh, blue, and maybe instead of painting it that nice Nevada blue, I may paint it red, black, and green. Why not? And, and we're going to talk about that as we get into the show on why I would paint <coughs> Nevada red, black, and green. You may be surprised. So stay tuned for that. And, um, you know, I also, you know, there's been a lot of news that happened this week. We had the, uh, I believe it's the third uh, Republican debate, which was big news, big audiences. Uh, well, and what do you expect from the highest rated reality TV show in the history of television? Right. <laughs> uh, so we we had that going on. Uh We've had uh, a couple of uh, Democratic candidates drop out of the race after after the Democratic debate. And some people say, look, those people were only placeholders anyway. 
and this is all orchestrated by the Clintons, so it didn't look like she was anointed to be the one. And I tell them, I don't care how many people they put in, the anointing already happened, and all of this other stuff really is just a waste of time. 347-826-9600, because I know y'all want to call in on that one, and that's okay. Right. <laughs> uh, cause we, and we're going to talk about that uh, in an upcoming episode. Uh, well, we're just going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some other things. Uh, so some of the other things that was in the news, so we had, so we just had the Republican debate. We had some Democrats fall off of the uh, presidential campaign. We have some uh, Jeb Bush cutting his campaign, uh, I believe, expenditures at least 40% uh, instead of staying in the, the, the best hotels, they're not staying in those anymore. Instead of getting the charter plane, they're taking the bus. <laughs> get the charter now bus. Now, see what happened uh, when, you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you come in at 7%. I think he's ranking about 7%. He's out of the double digits at this point. It's just a, you know, it's, it's on extreme life support, that campaign right now. And, you know, you you can't help but talk about the Trump effect. But the reality of it is, if Jeb Bush, who is probably and maybe, with the exception of Rand Paul, the most moderate of all of those Republicans who are running, if he was to drop out, what would that mean? Who is left? And what does that mean? You know, when we talk about these things, I'm always talking in, in general, but there is some, you know, specific impact. What does that mean for black people? Uh, I mean, most of the time, only about 5% of blacks vote Republican anyway, so you'd think that, that would mean very little. But the good thing about having a moderate Republican is that that moderate Republican can duke it out with that Democrat. And, of course, they may have different perspectives, but that doesn't mean that maybe one sees things differently. And by securing the other person's view, it helps the country push whichever one in the direction that we need to go. Well, what happens when the moderates are gone and all you have left are extremists? And as far as Democrats go, it's kind of interesting that they Bernie Sanders is a Democratic Socialist that's running as a Democrat. And so you would think by that handle that he would be the extremist, the extremist. But really, is he the extremist, or is Hillary the extremist on the liberal side? Three four seven eight two six nine six zero. Y'all keep giving these numbers out because I'm putting these giant beach balls out there for somebody to take a swing at. Uh, but so we had that going on in, in the news. Uh, we also have a new speaker of the house, uh, Paul Ryan. I believe he's on. Wisconsin? Is, yes, uh, sir. The house. Lovely Wisconsin, number, yes. Isn't it great? Number three in line for president. For pre- for for being in charge. He the man next to the man next to the man. Who ran on the ticket with uh, Mitt Romney. So though he may not have become the vice president, he, like Angela said, is the man next to the man Next to the man. Next to the man. And, uh, wow, what a ascent in public life. I believe he's the youngest speaker of the House in 
the last hundred years, at least. Uh, well, that's, that's pretty attractive. Yeah. That's uh, he's tall. Pretty interesting. He's, he's fit. He's uh, a family man. I think I, I believe it's three children, but I'm not sure. I think two girls. And he's a, a seemingly a, a religious person. So, you know, what does this mean for the direction of the Republican caucus? What does it mean for uh, cooperation between the House and the Senate, the House and the uh, White House? You know, what, is, what does this mean? How does this going to impact? What dynamics have changed? How can the people of this country use this as an opportunity to help push it more in, in the direction that we want it to go versus the direction that the politicians have been taking us. We have an opportunity to do something a little different. So those are some of the big items uh, that's been on the news uh, for me. Uh, Angela, what's some of the items that's been out there for you? Well, this week I got some very um, joyful news. Good friend to the show, Neil on the record, Miss Chrisette Michelle got engaged, and she's going to get married on her birthday, which is December sixth. So she, you know, we were looking forward to a visit here in uh, Las Vegas, but she has uh, gotten engaged, and and her and her soon-to-be groom will be going to the altar. Uh, Instead of, you know, chilling, chillaxing in Las Vegas, she'll be standing, becoming this young man's wife. So I'm very excited for her, and congratulations, Miss Chrisette Michelle. That was exciting news. A beautiful picture, beautiful ring, absolutely gorgeous ring. And I wish the young folks all the luck in the world. It's a beautiful uh, love story. So that was big news okay. for me this week. Big shout out. Any, any other thing going on in uh, in Angela Land? Well, you know, I'm just you know making it happen this week. Um, nothing really super spectacular to report, but I mean I'm having a good time. What? Yeah, yeah. I took some time off. I, I went up to Seattle last week. That was awesome. They have the best freaking water, Rodney. I just want to, you know, shout out Seattle. Y'all water is the freaking best. I'm dreaming about it every day since I've been back. I feel refreshed. It was nice to dress in layers. You know, I'm from the Midwest, and I now live in the middle of the Mojave Desert and, you know, the land of perpetual sunshine, so I don't get to do the layer thing how I do it at home, but I was up in Seattle last week. I had my my grunge going. I had my boots, my 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 sweaters, just a bomber jacket. I was bomb fashion layer, grunge city visit. I ate seafood all week. I drank water. I went up to the uh, Starbucks roastery and tasted coffee from all around the world. Watched them roast the beans. It was freaking awesome. Well, it sounds like took it. a nice trip. Yeah, I took a nice trip over to the Chihuly Museum and and checked out all the glass sculpture. You know that I, I will say this: we have a beautiful piece of Chihuly art here in the uh, lobby of the Bellagio. Lots of you know, it's pretty famous 
part of that property, and you know, lots of people from all around the world have seen that piece. But I didn't know a lot about the history of that piece. That's one piece of an eight-piece series where he focused on aquatics and and sea life, and <clears throat> it was just nice to go to his museum and learn a lot about his history and and uh, see a lot of. Uh, his imagination at work. I'm from Chicago in uh, Garfield Park. Uh, we have the Botanical Gardens there, and we have a huge uh, Chihuly, uh exhibit there. And, I, you know, like I said, I didn't know a whole lot about his history. I've been exposed to his work before. But to go up to Seattle, where he's from, and go to his museum, and they say that there's an even bigger exhibit of his up in Tacoma at the uh, university there, Um where he taught and, you know, lives. Um, but being um, from Seattle, that museum was in, incredible in those pieces. You know, I, I will say this. Uh, he had a horrible uh, car accident that stopped him from being able to blow gra- blow the glass himself. He has other uh, people on his team. He still designs, but he has other people on the team that, that do the actual blowing, but when he was up and able to do the work himself, wow, what a body of work. What I'm I'm astonished at how much energy that must have taken. I've taken that. You know, there's a place here in Las Vegas, right off the strip where you can take a um, glass blowing class, and I've been enjoyed um, hanging out with them on the weekend and learning about blowing glass. But to see that level of work and that much work from one individual is pretty incredible. Notice Angela breaking out all the big words and whatnot as she started talking about uh, art. I'm like, oh, okay, she in the zone right now. She's she bringing it to yeah, the job. Um, you know, Google those yeah, words just in case. <laughs> I I really love art. Uh, I'll get a lot of art, art exposure, like I did at home. You know, we got a lot of museums in Chicago and a lot of you know artists there in Chicago. So we don't. I don't do it as much as I used to when I was at home. Different lifestyle out here, but um, I miss it. And when I go to other cities, I, I try to go to a lot of museums and try to visit their zoo. So next time I'm in Seattle, I'm going to check out the zoo. But, you know, it was a lot of fun up there. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the zoo because one thing that that Nevada does not have, or at least we don't have down here in Las Vegas, the biggest city, is there's no zoo. Yeah, I miss that. I come from a city, a city with two major zoos. So <laughs> you want to go to the quick, easy zoo, you go to Lincoln Park Zoo. And 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 um, if you want to go to the big ball out till you fall out zoo, you go to Brookfield Zoo. So I, I call Lincoln Park Zoo the quick and easy zoo. It's actually a pretty elaborate zoo, ranked in the top twenty best zoos in the world. But you know, it was down. It was not far from my home. It was just like a bus ride away. Pretty quick for me to take the kids. So you know, I call Lincoln Park Zoo my quick and easy zoo. But it's nothing. Uh, you know, smaller, quick and easy about Lincoln Park Zoo. You you actually could, it, it would take you a while to get through that entire zoo. 
So I kind of missed that. You know, there's a lot of things about back east that I miss, that I miss, but at the same time, though, know, I think one of the great things about being out here in the West, especially in Las Vegas, is though we may not have a lot of things, we are really afforded an opportunity by not having it to create. Mm. That's true. That's true. One of the major created, draws in me coming out here to live was that I felt that this city had a lot of ground floor opportunity where a lot of other older cities have a lot of, you know, developed things like a museum uh, complex, uh, a zoo complex. It it was attractive to me um, moving out here. But you notice I said it was, you know, living ground mm-hmm. floor opportunity can be tough sometimes. You know, you, you miss some of the things that uh, you left behind in your home city. But I do love Las Vegas, love Nevada. It has a lot of special things about it, it you know, itself. I'm, I don't I don't remember being this close to this many national parks. So, <laughs> hey, they got national parks up the eyebrows out here. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's just a matter of sometimes it's a matter of taking advantage of what is available to you. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, though we may not have something, but look at all the things that we do have. We're rich in a lot of other ways. So, you know, ground floor opportunity, you guys, if you, you specialize in zoos, get out to Las Vegas is one thing that's missing. Uh, for us to be <laughs> such a huge internationally known city, it is kind of odd that we don't have a developed uh, zoo complex here, and, and the city and the children in this city, I feel, really deserve it. it, it zoos are, especially when, now, there's some farms and stuff around here. Now, as far as in the city, it's some, you know, small, small little plots, right? But uh, a lot right. of children who live in urban areas don't get exposed to farm life, and I think that that is a huge loss. By them, so that's an education in itself. And then when you have the animals, when you have the zoos, and children get a chance to see them and learn them, see things they've only seen on television or maybe only read in a book, but to get to get to see them up close and, and personal, I think it just does something for those children that, uh, as far as education, that they won't get uh, otherwise. And you know, education, you, know- you can get some things. Oh, go ahead, Angela. I was just going to say, education is, is is super valuable. You know, I took my uh, grants to see, we do, we don't have a developed zoo complex, but we do have a very unusual uh, animal experience here. The former MGM Lions, there's a whole development with them, the, the family that, that keeps the lions now. You can go visit them. You can also, they have giraffes on the property now. And uh, it's a very unique experience where you can feed the giraffes and, you know, really get up close and personal with those former uh, MGM lions. And I think they also have the uh, some of the cats that uh, Sixfield and Roy used to uh, perform with also. So, you know, there's some other very unique experiences here in Las Vegas that you don't have every place else. This is very true. And, you know, before we go further, because this is another day, there's a whole lot of people out there uh, that's been celebrating birthdays. So big shout out to all the people who have a birthday today. Uh, as we come into the end of the month, a big shout-out to all of the people who 
had birthdays in the month of October, I believe those are primarily my Libra folks. Of course, Libra is gone now, and we into the, the next phase. So just wanted to make sure that I gave uh, you folks a big shout-out throughout the show. Yeah, my husband's made, one of uh, those October birthdays, October Libra. Uh, yeah, you know, you can't, can't leave big out birthday. the game. Yeah, you know, the king had a big birthday. It was a significant one, too. He turned 50. Oh, my that, goodness, he, did. he lived a half a you know, century. He got his ARP card. He's starting to get uh, emails from the old folks' home and everything. It's so funny. It's the old folks' home. What's he trying to say? Yeah, yeah he I, I, He said it. This word, you like, you know, they keep, they keep emailing me invites to the, the, the convalescent. I said, the old folks' home, really? Hmm, I got options. <laughs> <laughs> He thought that was funny. Well, like, yeah, you got jokes, huh? You got jokes? Might I remind you, you're not that far behind with this birthday business. So, you know, enjoy while you can, young girl. Young girl, enjoy it. <laughs> everybody don't get to live to be his age, Angela. You still got to get there. He's there already. I, that's what, you know, he keep reminding me. You know, you I'm where you want to be, young lady. Remember that? Keep living. <laughs> Yeah, you keep living, maybe you can reach this age. I, yeah, right on. But, you know, um, <laughs> it is interesting when we think back of our childhood, which doesn't really seem, in some cases, that long ago. And right. when we take time to reflect on our childhood and the good and the bad, and we think about what children go through today, it almost for whatever bad that it may have been in my youth, I am so glad that I went to school back then and not today. Uh, and then I'll, I'll explain a little bit more of that after we do a brief station ID. Uh, you are listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes here every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. out west. And that's 3.30 p.m. for our East Coast listeners. Today's subject is, today is Halloween to most of the country, but for those of us here in Nevada, it is also Nevada Day. And I'm going to talk about the importance that Nevada Day should be to the whole country and especially to African Americans. And we're, we're going to talk about the school resource officer slams a black team. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to, I want to zoom out this time instead of zooming in. So there was a lot of things in the video that I saw that got my attention. And I was, I wanted to make sure that this event does not pass us by without taking in the potential opportunities that it presented to us. You know, they say, I believe it's Rahm Emanuel uh, going back to Angeles City in Chicago that says you should never let, what is it, you should never let a, a and I'm a paraphrase now because I, I, I've just lost the actual quote, but basically it was like you, you never let a bad instance 
uh, go by without using it as an opportunity. And there's an opportunity in this incident with, that happened with that teenager being slammed, well, thrown, really, by the school resource officer. And before I came on the show, I had an opportunity to speak to an educator, uh, a professional counselor, a psychologist, Dr. Douglas Garner, about that particular incident. And looking at it, instead of the eyes of outrage, which I understand, but looking at it from the eyes of a trained professional in psychology, in what he saw and what we should consider looking at and then acting upon. So we're going to talk about that in uh, Our Own Voices Live. And we'll be on for a little while longer, so you got a chance to give us a call, 347-826-9600. For those of you who uh, may not know how to uh, contact us or once you make the call, uh, how to connect with us, just press the one on your keypad. When you press that one on your keypad, that uh, gives you a hot mic, and that lets me know that you're not uh, just listening, that you want to share a few words with us. And I encourage you to do so because we really need the input of, on this. We need the people's attention on this. Uh, this, was, this really was, to me, a major incident that if gone was just the firing, and that's right, I said just the firing of the resource officer, we have, will, I believe we will have done our children and even people in the school a major disservice. That's how big I think this was. Before we get into the slamming of the student. One of the things I was, we're talking about education before, and the show's kind of education show, is growing up, I had no idea that there was a Nevada Day. Angela, had you heard of Nevada Day before you came to Nevada? Uh, because I certainly had not. And thinking about, wow, what role did Nevada play? And what would the world be like? And I'm saying, what would America be like if it had not come into the Union, if there was no Nevada Day? And it really was, you know, just to, you know, if you ever take one of those things and say, well, if this had never been invented because this person wasn't here, then what would life have been like? That's what I did with Nevada Day. And immediately was had there been no creation of Nevada that, well, the folks that I was at the gathering with yesterday discussing the same topic, we would not have all been there. It's a good possibility that the store, the restaurant, T.C.'s Real Crib, oh, and big shout out to Sharon and T.T. I mean, they, oh, my goodness. The food there, I I ate so much, I was looking for a cot. I needed me a buck to rent. 
the itis it said made us all jealous with that dessert you had yesterday. Yeah. It was, it was, and Angela, that, you, that really you, took you really it over did the, the most. Yeah, that, <laughs> yes, that, that, it that did. It did, Rodney. I'd well, have to agree with you there. It took it over the top. Dot com, and he had it a la mode, people. He had apple cobbler a la mode all in our face yesterday. It wasn't right, but hey, he was having a good time. Uh, yes, I did, <laughs> and I and I ate it all. I didn't need to bring ate none of it all home. Of it. I, I didn't offer nobody none. Not that we would have took it, because we was we was we was we was we was hanging tough. We was being committed to our waistline struggle. It was real yesterday. Rodney had apple cobbler olive mold all in our face. It was something. It was really something. And, and I was saying, should have saw well, it. I'll be real all you want. I'm doing this. <laughs> Struggle real and people. I did, but after I did, <laughs> I was like, man, I, the sleep set in, and I'd been up all night the last couple of days in a row, and it's, you know, the, a full, hey, a full Now, I just had caught up with you all the way, huh? <laughs> yeah, I I had to postpone. Actually, I had to cancel out on uh, something that was kind of important to me, trying to support, uh, you know, a, 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 someone who's pretty close to me in, in a new uh, venture. They kicked off last night, wanted to go over there and do that, and chance to make it. So I, I try to support my people doing the things in the community. So hopefully I'll be able to make up for it and, and, and support one of the events uh, tomorrow. But, you know, I mm-hmm. realize I can't do it all, but I'm going to try. But, yes, TC's, man, if, if, you, if you haven't been to TC's Rib Crib, you really need to go. And I don't mind giving them some free advertising and publicity right here because, they, they deserve it. And then we had a nice crowd that came in. We took up the, all of those tables, for those of you who have been to TC, all of those tables in the center, we took all of those up. And we had From the, from the wall all the way to, to the, the window. Yeah. They only had room and, to to bring the food through. Absolutely. Because that's a how we roll that at the gathering. We roll across your restaurant at, with the gathering. <laughs> yes, we will. And so the fifth Sunday... The month and a half this Sunday, like July, uh, October, we we moved from our traditional location at Nevada at the West Side Beach Store inside of Nevada Partners at 17 West Lake Mead Boulevard, North Las Vegas. Yes, giving them a plug too, and we will be back there this coming Friday. But you know, we we always uh, on that fifth Friday we go to TC's Rib Crib, and I people be like, Rodney, this month got a fifth Friday in it because I'm ready to go. And but then too, <laughs> every Friday, for those of you who like New England clam chowder, the West Side Bistro, and, and I'm starting to think it's because of me, but because uh, I love New England style clam chowder, they have New England style clam chowder at the West Side Bistro every Friday, and every Friday that we're there, I get some of that uh, <coughs> clam chowder. And, and you know, speaking of cl- well, speaking of clam chowder, I had. Tons of clam chowder last week, but I had never had Manhattan-style clam chowder. Have you ever had that? Well, uh, being from you are, New York, you from, you from uh, New York, Brooklyn, not Manhattan, but being from New York, uh, as a fatter of Matt, I sure have. I like it. It's different, though. I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. For those who don't know, Manhattan clam ch- clam chowder is more of a red sauce, like a like a minestrone-style broth. And you know clams and potatoes. It was delicious. I loved it. Oh yes, it's good, and and I like to eat it. But I tell you what, 
there's something about that New England style clam chowder, though. As much as I like Manhattan, now I eat it all, don't get me wrong, but as much <laughs> as I like it, you give me that New England style clam chowder and you got me hooked. And as a matter of fact, the West Side Bistro has me hooked. 710 Westlake D. Go there. And they they also have a menu, too, so you can order. They also have daily specials. It's a training academy. And one of the reasons why Sam had us uh, start out the gathering there was so we could support those people there in the program so they could be better prepared to uh, be culinary professionals out there in the world. Absolutely. So we did that, but you know, Angela, again, because it's a Nevada day, it's a holiday here in, in Las Vegas in Nevada, we sort of give up Columbus Day. And just so you all know, we were on the forefront of giving up Columbus Day. Maybe not for the reasons that we should have, but we were still on the forefront of, of giving up Columbus Day. And we swapped out the Columbus Day holiday locally with Nevada Day. Well, you know I'm from and, uh, you know I'm from the Midwest. Columbus Day is big. We get the day off and the whole nine. It's wrong, but a day off is a day off, nonetheless. So uh, out here, <laughs> uh, we get this Nevada Day off. So then I started wondering about Nevada Day because obviously it wasn't that big to me being from back east, right? And I started right. researching Nevada Day. And, and Nevada. And after I did that, I had such a great appreciation for Nevada Day and the state of Nevada. And one of the reasons for that is Nevada, because I, I used to hear them say Battle Born, and I wondered, what does Battle Born mean? And it was pretty simple. Nevada came into statehood during the Civil War. So Simple it was born in battle. Hint, battle born. So pretty simple, right? And I thought that by itself, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty fascinating. So then I started reading more about Nevada. And for those of you who think it's Nevada, it is not. It is <laughs> Nevada. Bad, bad. Say it after me, that, Nevada. Bad. Nevada. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what we are. That's, that's, that's our name. Okay. Now, like many of you, I also pronounced it wrong. I called it Nevada. Now, one of the reasons that I said it, I'm going to throw this one on John Wayne. Growing up, <clears throat> I loved Western. And John Wayne was in this Western, and one of the cowboys that, they uh, had in this show was from the state of Nevada, and I'm pretty confident John Wayne called him Nevada. Because all the time back then, your name was where you were from. Uh, and so that became my pronunciation for Nevada. And it wasn't until I looked up Nevada to find out more about it that I realized all the time I've been saying it wrong. So for those of you who say it wrong, I don't hold it against you because you don't know. But now you do know, so get it right. It is not Nevada, but it is Nevada. And the capital of Nevada is not Las Vegas. 
That's right. It is not Las Vegas. Las Vegas no, it's is not. the biggest city in Nevada, but it is not the capital. You would have to go up north to where it's cold to a place called Carson City, which is our capital. Years ago, one of the biggest cities in Nevada and most prosperous was Virginia City. And many of you may be familiar with Virginia City because it was the city closest to <coughs> the Ponderosa Ranch with Ben, Little Joe, Horse, and the boys. And that was the extent, pretty much, of what I knew of Nevada was that that's where the Ponderosa was. I had no idea that the southern part of the state was a part of one of the big, biggest deserts in the world. Had no part, had no idea. Uh, the climate of Nevada from north to south is as if you're in two different locations. Uh, Nevada is also considered one of the giant states. If you look at Nevada on the map, and if you look at the bottom of Nevada, and then you look at the top of Nevada, and then if you just sort of turn your eyes to the left, or excuse me, to the right, and you look at all of the other states that you would drive through on the East Coast if you drove the distance, the same distance of driving from Nevada from end to end. That is amazing. So Nevada is a huge state. Something else unique about Nevada besides its size, it has one of the largest counties in the country, or excuse me, congressional districts in the country in Nevada. And that is where I actually live, is in CD4, which is actually a new congressional district, came about because of the 2010 census. I am also a part of CD4. Uh, oh, let's not forget that that new congressional district made history in that the first African-American to hold a seat in Congress from the great state of Nevada was an African-American man by the name of Stephen Horsford. That's right. Someone who grew up here in Las Vegas had a rough upbringing. Uh, father was shot, murdered uh, on the streets of Las Vegas. Uh, mother was, a, I believe he, through his own mouth, said she was a crack addict. He had to basically raise his, uh, his younger sibling. And in spite of that, in spite of that, he rose to the height of being a history maker by being the first African-American and, and elected, not appointed. <coughs> because oftentimes when it's the first, they've been appointed. But no, he actually mm-hmm. ran a race and won and became the first African-American uh, congressperson from the great state of Nevada and the... I guess you could say the highest ranking 
uh, black person in the state. He also uh, represented the state well, uh, traveled all over the state, but unfortunately lost his bid for re-election. But will always go down in the history book as being the first African-American person in Congress from the great state of Nevada. So it made history. Now, I think that that's very interesting that he was the first because of the way Nevada came into the Union during the war. And for those of you who would like to ask a question, please do, 347-826-9600. Press 1 on your keypad and you would like to chat. Uh, Because Nevada came into the Union, had a lot to do with politics, as things always do. Nevada, before it was Nevada, was part of the Utah Territory. And as part of the Utah Territory, it was out west. You could call it the Wild West at the time. And even though the country, which primarily was on the East Coast and a little bit in the Midwest, even though the country was having a civil war, there was also somewhat of a civil war going on in the Utah Territory. And what that civil war was, was that the people from one side of the Utah Territory didn't really get along with people from the other side of the Utah Territory, and they had a little tete-a-tete, you could say. So you had Protestants on one side, you had Mormons on the other, and they had differences of opinion. Well, Lincoln, as the story goes, wasn't so confident that he was going to win his bid for re-election. So, as most politicians do, they try to ensure a greater uh, chance to win. The folks that were had issues Mormons and Protestants, Lincoln got together with them, or his people met with their people. And he told them, in essence, that he would give them statehood if they became a slave-free state, so Nevada couldn't have slaves, and which was good for him, right, because that means there's another state that joins the Union, And he also said, as much as he could say, you all need to vote for me because now your congressional representatives, your senators, are going to be a part of the delegate process, and this will help ensure me of the vote and to be reelected because he wasn't sure he was going to win his bid for reelection. All those people, well, not all, but a lot of what those folks wanted was they wanted to be their own people separate from the Utah Territory. A deal was struck. Papers were signed. Nevada became a state. Now, how did that, why is that so important to the overall country? Well, though it turned out that Lincoln had somewhat of an overwhelming victory, which is surprising considering, you know, he's in a war with the other half of the country that succeeded from the country. But he didn't actually need the delegates that he gained from Nevada, but it was good to know that he had them. 
but he also got another state that was a non-slave state. Now, that's important to me as a black person. One more area of freedom for the people of that day. One more sort of arrow in the quiver of freedom overall. And it probably had a little something to push the country towards uh, reconciling these issues because now you had more people in Congress to support Lincoln's side. Hence why next year I may dress up in the shape of Nevada, but instead of the pretty blue, Nevada blue put in red, white, and green on it. But we go further because Lincoln, as Lincoln was prosecuting the war, the war was very expensive. And by Nevada coming into the the Union, so to speak, he also got an influx of much-needed cash to finish prosecuting the war. It's no coincidence that to our west is California called the Golden State. Notice Nevada's nickname is the Silver State. And it's not because of the pretty silver skies we may have uh, early in the morning and late in, in the evening, but it is because Nevada had a huge vein of silver discovered up in the up in the mountains. And Nevada is a, is a part of the Mountain West, so it's a mountainous state. And I'm talking about silver that has been pulled out of the ground since Lincoln's day and still being pulled out of the ground today. I believe we are the largest silver producer in the United States of America and one of the largest in the world, Nevada. Uh, one reason why the mining industry is so powerful here. Now, what that silver did was that helped Lincoln again fund the war. What it also did was it pushed up the timeline of the Trans-Pacific Railroad because, of course, the silver has to get transported back and forth. Now you have another state where people are obviously going to want to go, where they're going to want to settle and take advantage of the land grants that the government often uh, offers. So by Nevada coming into the Union, it really did sort of speed up the clock of the ending of the war, because now that Lincoln had more money, he could get have potentially he could have more troops, could have more equipment, and he could hit harder. Money is important. Don't let anyone fool. And to a certain extent, Lincoln gained a bottomless pit of money by bringing Nevada into the Union because, as I said, Nevada has been producing silver since the 1860s, and it's still producing silver. This is something that's important to the country because by Nevada coming in, giving Lincoln that extra cash to prosecute the war, one, it meant that the war possibly ended sooner than it could have. Two, the Union won the war. And by winning the war, brought America back together after the South succeeded. So Nevada played a pivotal role in reuniting this country. Who would have thought that population-wise, the little state of Nevada would have such a major impact? And then for African Americans, 
for African Americans why I think we should really lift up Nevada and Nevada Day. Why I think that Nevada should be almost the mecca for African Americans. You know, I often hear some of our separatist brothers and sisters talk about we need to have our own state, our own land. Nevada is pretty empty of people, believe it or not. It, we think of Las Vegas, right, and you see the big, well, gigantic casinos, hotel casinos, and that sort of becomes the image of the state of Nevada. Well, let me tell you, there is only one Las Vegas, and all of Nevada is not Las Vegas. Las Vegas actually takes up a fairly small piece of Nevada, remember, Nevada giant state. Las Vegas takes up a small piece, though the majority of the population is here. So in effect, Nevada is an empty state of people with a lot of land. Now let's keep in mind that roughly 80% of the state of Nevada, something else unique about Nevada, roughly 80% of the entire state of Nevada is owned by the federal government. 80% of a state, in this particular case, is Nevada, is owned by the federal government. When Las Vegas was going through its land boom, it's going through that, that building hyperactivity where you can buy a house And in a month's time, the house hasn't even been built yet. Maybe they didn't even break ground. But the value of your home had gone up. In other words, if you had waited a month to buy that same house in that same area, that same house might have cost you five to $13,000 more. That's how quickly prices of homes was going up because the demand was so great. Now, some of that, I'm sure, was artificial inflation. But the demand was so great. Well, there actually was not enough. There was enough land in Las Vegas, but a good percentage of that land was owned by the Bureau of Land Management. We call it the BLM. And what the BLM started doing was auctioning off chunks of land. And it was an amazing thing. I mean, an acre of land going for a million dollars? That's crazy. When maybe just a few months before, that same acre of land maybe went for 500000 which by itself is a lot of money, too. When I came to Las Vegas, and I'm going to have to do some fact uh, checking on this, but I believe an acre of land was about $40,000, depending on where you were. And I remember driving up what was considered, well, now we have uh, Highway 95, 93 there, but before it was basically an extension of Rancho Drive. And Rancho Drive went much further north than it does now because the freeway has become a part of, of Rancho Drive. But driving out of the city, for the most part, once you went to about Tropicana West, and there was a little more, but basically the main city ended. And you had dirt roads and you had some sparse housing. That was going west. Going north 
for the most part, Craig Road, for those of you who live here, was that was almost like the end of the, you know, that was like the northern boundary. And then, of course, it, it started, you know, there was other stuff there, but as far as the where the bulk of the people were, that was it. That just goes to show you how small Las Vegas was. And most of that other land was either owned by Howard Hughes, believe it or not, or the United States government. And let me briefly move over to Howard Hughes, because Howard Hughes was a phenomenal figure. Howard Hughes had a lot to do with putting Nevada on the map after the Civil War into the 1900s. As many of you know, Howard Hughes was an eccentric and reclusive billionaire who wound up uh, basically withdrawing from society and specifically government. Howard Hughes settled in Las Vegas. I believe it was either the sands or desert, and he moved around in a couple of places. He liked them so much, he just went and bought them. Think about that. You got so much money, you get you a hotel room, you like the place. Yeah, Instead of paying my bill, let me just buy the whole place. But anyway, that's Howard Hughes did that. Now, what what is important about Howard Hughes is Howard Hughes was a visionary, maybe more so than people give him credit for. He was also an engineer. Uh, But Howard Hughes and the Hughes Corporation later built an area, or excuse me, purchased an area of sand, because that's pretty much all that was there was sand. Some people, and they even ridiculed them for doing it. They they said he had just wasted his money on Nevada's version of Florida swampland. But for him, he saw something more than that. And he bought, so where we have Summerlin today, Howard Hughes owned all of that. Uh, there's portions of uh, the county out by Sunrise Manor. Howard Hughes owned that. There's other areas that Howard Hughes and the Hughes Corporation owned. Howard Hughes owned a portion of the strip. It is amazing on what he saw way back then that many others did and what his company is still profiting on today. Now, that's legacy. That's legacy. Well, we have, I believe, a legacy here in Las Vegas, in the state of Nevada, because this battle-born state helped Lincoln prosecute the war and ultimately led to the war ending, which saved who knows how many lives of all people, white, black, others, children. Think about how many lives that were lost in the Civil War. And think about if you divide it by the years of the Civil War, just imagine how many more hundreds of thousands of lives may have continued if the Union hadn't been able to break through in money and resources partially because of Nevada coming into the Union. So that's why I say that Nevada is unique of all states for the unification of this country, but also for black people in helping us, our ancestors, achieve their freedom. Howard Hughes in modern times responsible for bringing more industry here 
development here. And again, 80% of the land is still owned by the federal government. So that means, you know, many of you heard Minister Farrakhan speak on during the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March that we should buy land. I am encouraging you all to buy land in Nevada and do it now before the prices go back up. 80% of it is empty. 80% is owned by the federal government. Even the 20% that's not owned by the federal government, it is not all occupied either. A lot of land here at some very good prices. Whatever we had in Durham, North Carolina, whatever we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma, whatever we had at Rosewood, Harlem, Folsom, California, we, for those of you who want that, Nevada is a prime location to have it. Moderate weather, but if you like it hot, southern Nevada. If you like it cold, snowy, then northern Nevada. If you want like a little combination season, then really you only have to drive up about 50 miles, and you can have that too. So Nevada can have whatever climate that you like. If you like being in the country, we definitely have our country. If you like being on the ranch, the farm, we have that. If you like the trees, you know, the... Uh, Ponderosa Pine That's in Nevada uh, Lake Tahoe A portion of that is in Nevada If Las Vegas is a little big Then we have the biggest little city In the country And that's Reno Just imagine Reno being the Much smaller sibling Of Las Vegas And maybe a little slower We have it right here So yes I'm putting the word out. I'm encouraging people to visit my state of Nevada, my adopted state, to come take in the history of Nevada, the important role it, it paid, played in the ending of the Civil War. Uh, here's a unique tidbit about Nevada historically. Notice that we celebrate Nevada Day October 31st. Does that seem odd to anyone? Well, again, going back to politics, the reason why the reason why Nevada Day is October thirty first instead of January first is because elections in this country are held in November. So if Nevada had to wait on statehood for January, like what traditionally happened, then that meant that Lincoln may not have gotten those electoral votes that he wanted and thought that he needed, which meant that for him there may have been no point in Nevada or this portion of the Utah Territory becoming a state called Nevada. So it was critically important that Nevada become a state before the election And the close The elections are held At the beginning of the month uh, What is it The first Tuesday of the month So Nevada Had to become a state In October In order for the people Of Nevada The delegates To vote For the presidency To help Lincoln Maintain the White House That's why 
Nevada Day is a little unique from other states that came into the union. Actually, is unique from other states that came into the union. It's because basically it was a rush job and it had everything to do with politics, ultimately leading to the ending of the Civil War, the freedom of black people, and so forth and so on. Nevada. N-E-D-D-A. Nevada. Not Nevada, but Nevada. N-E-D-A-D-A. October 31st. To some, it is simply Halloween. To me, it is a day that helped bring about the freedom of my people, and it is a day that helped bring about the reunification of America. Well, I wanted to make sure that we got a discussion in about Nevada Day, its importance to the nation, and it's important to African Americans. Why it's still important to African Americans to this day, there's a lot of land that's here. So if you couldn't take advantage of the land almost giveaway in Detroit, and Detroit will come back, then hey, come on out to Nevada and take advantage of our beautiful way of living and a, a state that had a major impact in the reunification of this country, the saving of lives, and also the freedom of black people. Well, Angela, what do you think about Nevada Day? Fascinating story. Uh, I guess we can call Nevada Day the tipping point of the United States. Remain in a union. So, you know, if you guys have any questions, and I encourage you to look up and read a little bit more about the Nevada Day. Uh, take another quick uh, station ID. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. I am one of the hosts, myself, Rodney Smith, and my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Our Own Voices Live comes here every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. And that would be 3.30 p.m. for those 3.30 out east. Our topic today is school resource officers slams black team and the importance of Nevada Day. We just got talk, got through talking about the importance of Nevada Day. I hope you all uh, learned a thing or two, and if you know a little bit more about Nevada than maybe I share, feel free to call in, 347-826-9600. Press option one if you would like to speak. Well, Angela... Back in school, I learned nothing about the importance of Nevada in the United States or to black people. And school was a lot different. It was a much different place back then than it is today. And we saw a little bit of that difference play out on video taken from a cell phone that went across the Internet. And it showed of a horrific of a teenage a teenager being well slipped in a chair brutally attacked by a full grown man let's just put it where it is uh, thrown across the the classroom and terrible and that spread across the internet 
And this happened in South yes. Carolina. The first one, and, and you know, let's and let's put that in perspective too. South Carolina, first shot of Civil War, last place in the United States that the Confederate flag came down permanently. We just all witnessed that recently, but it's the last place in the United States that the Confederate flag came down. There's interesting facts about South Carolina. I'm just saying, no, you know, those of our listeners that are from South Carolina, you know, I still love you, but that's a really Interesting place, South Carolina. Well, South Carolina being... My grandson was born there. I have two two grandsons born South Carolinians. They're South Carolinians. Very interesting state. My original home being just right uh, across the border uh, in North Carolina, uh, right above Myrtle Beach. Uh, so So we see this and we're shocked at what we see. We see a teenager, uh, in this particular case, it is a girl, happens to be an African-American girl, being flipped out of a chair, pulled out of the chair, thrown across the room, uh, and handcuffed and removed from the classroom. Since Mm -hmm. then, the officer involved has been fired. And I saw a lot of applause, a lot of glad-handing, I, I saw a lot of things, but what I I also saw these things. I saw a process that may that needs changing. I see a child that may have issues beyond the attack. I saw students turning their heads in such a way that told me that this was something that wasn't new to them. I saw a teacher and heard of an administrator who were not able to handle the situation that led to the resource officer being called into the classroom in the first place. I also saw the passivity of the students when this incident happened. Now, I know there's been a lot of people who said that the students should have jumped up and done something. I remember the incident at the pool, at the pool party in Florida, mm-hmm. where a young girl, black girl, basically had the knee of a white police officer in her back as he's trying to Viciously attack her. Absolutely. You call it arrest. I call it vicious attacks. Yes. And in the process of this, and there's video going, and you see Mm -hmm. a black teen, male black teen, go to render aid to this black female. And the response of the police officer was immediate. And in essence, it was, if you want some of this too, keep on. And you see the police officer reach for his gun. Reach for his gun. That quick. We saw, thankfully, other police officers come and grab their compatriots. We were that close to the potential loss of another life 
not the black girl, but in this particular case, a black male child, teen, who wanted to render Trying aid to render to his. So for those who say that those students in the classroom should have done something, I want you to think about that officer in Florida who reached for his gun when a black male child, teen, went to assist the black female teen that the officer was arresting with his knee in her back. So I just want us to think about these things. You know, sometimes we zoom in and we get so close to a situation that we may miss out on some other things. The decisions that we might have made may be more knee-jerk responses more than thought-out strategies, and I understand it. But in this case, the incident is over, so we can look back at it now, right? And so I wanted to take the time to look back at it. So the police officers fired. People called for the firing of the police officer. He's a school uh, resource officer. He's fired. And I saw a lot of, all right. Well, what I saw was, okay, next. That's what I saw is next. What I also saw is I wanted to know, one, why was the student uncooperative? Because it is true that potentially had the student cooperated, there would have been no incident, right? So why wasn't the student cooperative, number one? Two, why did the child have the cell phone out in the first place? Because maybe there's a story there that could impact the decisions that could have been made that weren't made. I also wanted to know, what did the teacher do? Well, the understanding is the teacher tried to get the child to put the cell phone away because they're not authorized to have cell phones out in, in class. So was the child, was there an emergency call? Was the child just on the phone out of defiance? You know, we don't, at, at least I do not have the answers to that story yet, but I think it's critical that we get the answer to that before we make uh, comments on what should happen. I also want to know how much time did the teacher spend in getting the child to do this? Because after all, it's a classroom setting, right? And we, we send our children to school to be taught by the teachers. Otherwise, they could stay home. I would like to know, is there a set limit of time that the teacher has to spend with a child? Five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, the whole classroom period? What, what is it? Uh, is there certain protocols that if a teacher has that if they cannot get a child to cooperate, they must do this or that? Teachers are supposedly taught on conflict resolution and classroom management, all teachers. I would like to know, did this teacher execute what he was taught, what he was trained on properly? We don't know that. Was he following a protocol? Don't know that. Some people said, well, how could that black teacher, and I got this from a lot of my sisters, though, but it was a, a lot of people in Zoom. How could that black teacher just stand by and let this happen? Well, the black teacher is the one who called the, an administrator to the classroom. And then the administrator wasn't able to resolve the issue and called the resource officer. 
So then that brings into question when that resource officer was brought in, the reaction from the students that I saw was one of normalcy, one of a little fear. Is this something that they're used to? Is this how the school normally deals with students who are out of line? When they called that resource officer, was he called basically to do what he had done? After all, his nickname was Officer Slam. So what it did for me is it opened up a lot of questions. One of the questions I had was it had counseling, professional counseling. I'm talking a psychiatrist, a psychologist, even a, even a social worker, right? Have those children in that classroom, including the team who was, that was thrown across the room, have any of them been offered any professional counseling? These are questions that came, that arose in my mind. Also, what is the home life? Now, this is before I knew a few things more that I know today that I didn't know at the time. The next question is, what's going on in that child's home life? Because what's going on in that child's home life has something to do with what's going on in their mind at the time and may have had something to do with their slow response, lack of response, whatever the case may have been. So that's what I would like for us as a community of people to consider as we look at this. And then what should be put in place to prevent this from happening again? By all concern, from the student, the parent, the teacher, the administrator, whatever resource officers that may or may not be involved, because now I hear they're talking about removing them all from school. What is the counseling of students in these schools, from the school side of it, as well as from the psychological and emotional side of it? I saw emotionally damaged people. I do not expect emotionally damaged people to act rationally. I saw an expectation, potentially, of the resource officer by the administrator to do just what he did. We had a great talk at the gathering yesterday, and there were various opinions, perspectives, views that were rendered. And I thought it was a great discussion. What I wanted to do was zoom out and look at the bigger picture. There is a, I believe, an FBI investigation that's been called. I have a sneaky suspicion that they're going to delve into a lot of these things that I just mentioned, and I am anxiously awaiting the report on their findings of not just that incident, but what is the culture of that school? Angela? What's your take on that incident? Um, my take on the incident is Les Dyer was firing his butt. I'm glad he's gone. But, I, you know, I agree with you that, you know, that's just a minor as- aspect of what the problem is. What I noticed in watching that video initially 
was the body language of the children. They were kind of like, oh, Lord, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. That's not happening. That's not happening. I'm not looking at it. So it's not happening, which said to me that they had seen this officer and probably other uh, authority figures in that school doing something similar to to children. And, you know, I look at it as a form of PTSD. I think those kids are uh, tra- have been traumatized and are suffering. And I say start at the top, maybe the regional uh, director. There's a culture in that school, obviously, that makes it okay to harm children for uh, the convenience of the staff, whatever they, you know, whatever kind of sedation they want the kids under, they're using brutal force in that environment, if you ask me. That's what it looks like to me. The teacher was way too damn passive and okay with what that officer was doing, and the children that the camera panned across were... Definitely not trying to, you know, experience what they were experiencing. And I'm concerned about, you know, the future fallout for them. Because what if, the, you know, what if there was a child in that classroom who, by some stretch of my imagination, had not been exposed to uh, any violence like that? They could have walked out of that experience for real with PTSD. That's what PTSD is, some traumatic event stressing you out, which makes things later hard to deal with. So, you know, it's disgusting. It's disgusting that a grown man, a a trained fighter of some sort, he he also is a trained professional in, in law enforcement, you are trained, I thought, to de-escalate things. And just from his language, when he came in, he said, "You know, we can do this the hard way, or we can do this the we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way." That says to me that he came in there to set it off, and went right went right to work, went went right to setting it off. And the fact that the sheriff says he was a professional. The whole time, and the only thing he really did wrong, technically, was let the girl go. So if he had been slamming her around and held on to her the whole time, that would have been fine. He would still have his job because he would have been in the parameters of what they are, you know, allowed to do. That's unacceptable to me. So to you know, me, um, his head is the first head that should that should roll. It's some other adults in that environment that need to be out of education, be out of jobs too. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that about what the reasoning uh, for the firing, which actually had quite a few accolades in for the officer by saying that he acted professionally, uh, was in the bounds of his job, and so forth and so on, as you articulated. But I wondered when people were applauding that the officer was fired, I was wondering did they hear what was being said about the officer in the firing process. Because, yes, he got fired, but in the process of getting fired, he somewhat got lauded. And then I said, well, now you guys do understand that it was okay for him to flip her upside down in the chair. 
It was okay for him to yank her out of the chair. And and let's talk about her injuries. And in sustaining these blows, this young girl's arm is broken. She's in a hard cast. She has swelling and injuries up and down her spine and back. And all of the skin on her forehead has been carpet burned from her sliding across the room. So for our international listeners who may not have access to the video that we're referring to, the this is the type of brutal uh, force that was levied against this child, a little child. She's uh, a buck 20 soaking wet. This is a big, solid, muscle-bound, UCF, fight-trained law officer of the law with a badge who did this to her. Under any other circumstances, if he did not have a badge, this was assault with deadly force under any other circumstances. And this is something that a young girl who was already traumatized, let's talk about her, 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 her life. She's lost her mother. She's a, she's a foster care child. She's a ward of the state for those who are not in the United States. She's a ward of the state of South Carolina. She's in our what's called our foster care system where children go who don't have uh, an adult relative able or willing to take care of them. She Her mother is dead. Her grandmother is dead. She has no one. She's in the home of a foster care parent. Who, who I, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. They're doing the best they can. And this is a child who her peers said, I don't even know her name because she's so quiet. So this isn't, this doesn't appear to be a kid that was a problem kid. In this situation, she was using her cell phone. The teacher asked her to get off her phone and to go down to the uh, detention office. She got off her phone, but did not want to leave the classroom because she didn't want to miss the lesson that day. And and the adults allowed this to escalate to the point where this young person's arm is broken and she's in a hard cast right now. And all the skin on her forehead, on her face, is carpet burned. And she has sustained blows up and down her spine. She has swelling. Her back is severely injured. Unacceptable. So I'm on I'm on our Facebook page, and our Facebook page is called Our Own Voices Live. And this is a post that came in from uh, Linda Turner. And I want to read this to you all because I saw it on the news feed uh, earlier this morning about about this topic. And she says, I don't know if anyone mentioned that about 400 students at the school signed a petition claiming that the officer had done nothing wrong and that he should not have been fired. That upsets me almost as much as the original crime I want to know the composition of those signers and understand how they could take that position. And that's from Linda Turner, one of our listeners. 
from uh, a post. Linda Turner, how can you say that it's okay, you know, to to do that to a kid? I, I don't care what, what you say your job is and what the parameters of of your of the rules of your job. Just as a human being, human being to human being. Now, how Angela, is this uh, okay to do Angela, this to Linda, a kid? Linda Turner, Linda, just to be clear, Linda Turner is not saying that it's okay. That, I heard what, what she. Said. I heard what you said, but it, she didn't say those words. But that's 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 what that means, okay? That, well, I, I, mean, I heard what you she, said. I heard what you said. Yes. She said, but that's basically condoning this type of behavior. Well, let, let me just just in case anyone is misunderstood, let me read what she said again, uh, because she she is a caller. And I just want to make sure that she's being represented uh, properly. Mm. I don't know if anyone mentioned that about 400 students at the school signed a petition claiming that the officer had done nothing wrong and that he should not have been fired. That upsets me. What she's saying is she's upset. She's upset, too. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's upset that these these this petition has been signed. She said that upsets me almost as much as the original crime. Right? And so she's calling it like you. She calls it a crime. Yeah. I want to know the composition of those signers and understand how they could take that position. So, in other words, it sounds like she wants to know that the demography of those students uh, who signed the petition. And she says she wants to understand how they could take that position that this guy shouldn't have been fired. That's, that's, so I just wanted to make sure that we're all clear on okay. Linda's comment. All right, Linda. Well, then we're on the same team. Cool. Because okay. Rachel's dead and blind, and we and he could see. This is crazy. But, you know, crazy sometimes isn't spontaneous. Sometimes crazy comes comes along. It, it, there's different ingredients, and over time, the craziness is developed. As an example, why was the officer called Officer Slam? Is this the normal response of uh, resource officers in this school was there an expectation of the administrator that called the officer to respond that way have the children seen this so much that they are used to it and see it as a norm that's why I say that this particular situation right here if we let this go with simply the resource officer being tried, as adults, as parents, I don't do not think we will have adequately have done our job to get to the bottom of what caused it, causations in the scientific world, which because then you could come up with fixes and preventative measures. See, right now, all we have is okay the person at the tip of the spear, so to speak, we fired him. But you 
And I kept thinking about it. I said, but the administrator, you called this guy in to remove this child from the classroom. Now, how else is he going to remove the child from the classroom if the child does not voluntarily leave, if the child resists? That means he's going to have to use force to remove this child from the classroom. I did not see the teacher or the administrator try to, like, hey, wait a minute, you, you, you know, you're a little rough here, or, hey, take it easy. I didn't see that from anyone other than a camera being jostled around as maybe one, I believe it was one female student who stood up. But then again, I have to get into, do we want our students to stand up? Was this guy armed? Would it, could it have been even worse? You talked about the young girl with the broken arm, the problem with the back and the bruises and the carpet burns. I still have that image in my mind of that police officer with his knee in the young girl's back in Florida at the pool when the young black boy came over to render some type of aid. I believe he was telling her, uh, asking where she lived or saying he's going to tell her mom what's going on, something to that effect. And the police officer put his hand on his gun. Well, are you putting your hand on your gun because you lost your balance? (laughs) Are you putting your hand Mm -hmm. on your gun as a threat? Or are you putting your hand on your gun because you're about to use it? So I think that we should really step back, zoom out, and look at this thing. One of the great outcomes is that the FBI is going to look at it. And uh, they'll come up with some things. Well, as the FBI is looking at it, we need to be look at this thing. Uh, I spoke to Dr. Garner, as I mentioned, an educator right here in the uh, Clark County School District, fifth largest in the country. And he had quite a bit to say about this. He had quite a bit to say about it on multiple levels. He had, you know, he says every there's a lot of people accountable in this situation, both seen and unseen. And some of the unseen he's talking about is parents. What level of involvement do they have with our children? Are our children coming to school prepared? Are our children more belligerent, more defiant than before? How does that impact their responses to our children, specifically black children, when we already know that white people, 70%, have an inherent bias towards black people? Does this reinforce what they already assume about our children? Does that reinforcement then give them suggestive action because of this imagery? A whole lot to unpack here. The majority of our educators in America are white. The majority are white females. The majority are from the Midwest who have limited exposure to black people. A question that I think we have to ask ourselves, are these teachers prepared to deal with our people. This particular teacher was a black man, though. He has been vilified in the media. 
I don't know if that's justified. I don't know what his parameters were. I don't know what he did. It seems like he had a situation that for whatever reason, whether it's lack of training, loss, we could go into a bunch of possibilities. What we do know is that he was not able to defuse the situation to his satisfaction, and he called in for help with the administrator, who was also not able to defuse the situation, who called in for help from the school resource officer to remove the child from the classroom. That's what we do know. We do know that it was done in a brutal fashion. And if that is standard operating procedure for school resource officers, then what role does not only the administration of the school play in that, but also the people who do the training for these school resource officers and the school district that they're a part of that allows it. So we are not off the hook with firing of with the firing of Officer Slam. I think if he wants it, he'll probably get his job back. If not, he'll get a, he'll get a payout. So really, what would what would be accomplished if that was all was his firing? What thoughts do you have, Ed? Ah, I don't know. This is a lot. It's plain and simple for me. This system is broken, and we don't seem too enthused about fixing it. This is messed the, up. One of the, the I, I guess it's a law or ordinance, is I think it's called disturbance or dis- disruption of school is a criminal offense. And a lot of people have said that South Carolina's law is too broad and that it needs to be changed or removed. And there's also calls to remove resource officers out of all schools. Now, in the light of so many school shootings, I thought the idea was to put more police officers in the schools to protect the schools. And it makes me wonder also, what's the charter? What's the mandate? What's the guidance for school resource officers in South Carolina? Are they there as disciplinarians for students? Or are they there to protect the school from potential uh, perpetrators of mass shootings. What is their functionality? Is it defined? How has the school administration been using these resource officers? Have they been using them to instill discipline and or fear in the children? Was that what they were supposed to do? Because if it is, again, the problem is more than just that one incident and firing of of an officer. A lot of people said he was out of control, that he went beyond what he should have done. Well, okay, no argument for me, but did he legally 
go beyond what he should have done. The reason why I think that's important is because if he did what was expected of him, if he did what he was trained to do, minus losing contact after the slamming, right? And if that Mm -hmm. is part of how it's supposed to be done, shouldn't we take a look at that and say, wait a minute, we don't want people coming into our schools who are authorized to do that's their normal procedure. That's why I say this is much more than just that one incident. You were saying? Oh, no. I'm just, I'm with you. I'm dragging, dragging with you. So if, and and here's a, this is just critical to me. You mentioned PTSD <laughs> and those children. Are those children getting counseling now? Does anyone know? 347-826-9600, press 1. Are, have any of those children been offered professional counseling services? They witnessed a traumatic act. They witnessed someone getting hurt. They also witnessed administration at work. What message does it send to those children if they see what happened? Oh, if you were misbehaving in school, this is the outcome. Now, because I'm trying to cover both sides of this, and I've been watching the boards, and some people even at the gathering uh, mentioned this in their social media and others, have said, but what role did the girl have to play in all of this? I've heard people even in South Carolina that were black pose the same question. And, you know, oftentimes we don't want to talk about that because we say if we do, it takes it off of what actually happened. We do have to talk about it. We know that our children specifically are seen as deer in the woods, so to speak. And it's deer season. We know this. How are we preparing our children to deal with this hostile environment that they live in through no fault of their own as already seen as a threat? How does that impact how other people see our children, respond to our children, just living and breathing? And then how does that manifest into behaviors like we saw with the resource officer when there's non-compliance by one of our children. And now that this is a criminal offense, how does how could this how could our children's misbehaving lead to the prison to school pipeline or excuse me, school to prison pipeline? What needs to be done on the side uh, side of the staff? So what do parents need to do to better prepare their children for the environment, whether hostile or normal. On behalf of some teachers who contacted me, they said they too would have wanted that child out of their classroom because that child was disruptive, even though not boisterous, but because they did not comply with the direction of the teacher. And they believe the child should have been removed from the classroom. It's even been said to me, well, why did the child have the phone out in the first place? And I had that answer, I don't know. And they said, well, didn't she know? I don't know. 
And why didn't she respond to the authority figure, the teacher? I don't know. Well, why didn't she respond to the person above her teacher? I don't know. Well, when the police officer came in, almost the ultimate sign of authority in America, right? Why didn't she respond? I don't know. I don't know how her life experiences impacted her decision-making. Dr. Garner, once again, says that 70% of our children have some type of mental or emotional problem. It's come to light that this young woman, this, this girl, lost a parent. I lost my mother. I'm a grown man, 50-plus years old, and I'm still impacted by it. How would that impact the psyche of a teenager? She's in foster care. How does that impact her decision-making? I don't know what our home life was before that. I definitely don't know what our home life is in foster care, but usually what I've heard and what I know about foster care is it's not a bed of roses. How did that impact her decision-making? How does seeing violent actions, violent scenes, impact our children's decision-making? One of the things that Dr. Garner talked about during our discussion was the breakdown of the amygdala and the frontal uh, frontal lobe because that's the one that determines that fear of flight and how you react to stressful situations. Is it Was it out of whack? Then he just didn't keep it to the student. He also says, and what about this resource officer? Is his experiences of such that his are out of whack too, that it goes from words to this violent act and such an extreme violent act. So this opens up, for me, more questions than answers, and the firing of the resource officer is maybe a great PR stunt, but in reality a fixing a problem not so much. Well, I see we have folks in the chat room. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I see the folks online listening. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we wanted to talk about this. I was expecting to get more people to have a lot more to say to. And I don't know if that's because you're pondering it, because I see you here. Three four seven eight two six ninety six hundred. Press option one to speak. Are you pondering it? Are you shocked by it? If you're shocked by it, how about the children that were in the classroom that experienced it? How much of a shock is it to them? Hmm. How does this change their behaviors? This is a big story. My fear is that the story will pretty much in with the firing of the resource officer with some chest thumping as if something was accomplished by his firing and that all is well. All is not well. Well, next week we're going to discuss Racism. We're going to discuss 
biased perceptions. And we're going to use the story of a basketball player. Young basketball player. I think he's 6'10 or 6'11. Gets his big contract. Wants to celebrate with his friends. Calls a jewelry store open. Calls a jewelry store up to ask them what time they close. The sound of his voice instills fear in the store clerk because it's a black man. She assumes he's coming to rob her. When she sees him and his cronies outside or coming, she closes the doors, locks them, runs in the back with the rest of her staff, calls 911 to say that those people are here to rob her. Come quick. Even after the police came, said it was okay, she insisted that the police officers remain while the gentleman shopped for a Rolex watch. I made a post about that. You can see the post on Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. You can also see it on our own voices talking about this and I want you to read that and let me know what you think so to our own voices live it's the story of the basketball player wanting to buy the Rolex watch and I made extensive comments we're going to talk about that my comments as well as the incident next week on our own voices live it comes on at 12.30pm on the west coast and that's 3.30 for those folks today our topic was we kept it simple today, and we discussed school resource officer slams black team and the importance of Nevada Day. Thank you all for listening to Our Own Voices Live. I hope that there was something that you got out of our story on Nevada Day, and also that going into what happened with the police officer and the student. I believe it's much more than just what we saw in the firing of that police officer. Please go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook on the event post, and if you have comments, questions, uh, please share them there, Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening to us, and we'll see you, hear you on the net and back here next week.